Well, welcome everybody to Bible study, our final Bible study for the winter and spring season. We've been studying this whole time through the book of Acts, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're going to pick up at the beginning of Acts chapter 20. You've all received your handout. Uh, Let's start by reading the chapter summary, and then we'll go verse by verse through chapter 20. So chapter 20 of the book of Acts describes the final stages of Paul's third missionary journey. On this missionary journey, he revisits the churches that he and Barnabas planted in central modern-day Turkey on that, uh, on that first journey. His second journey, he went with Silas, you remember, and Barnabas and John Mark went off on their own. So he's revisiting the churches he planted on his first missionary journey. And then he establishes a church in Ephesus, and he gives his farewell speech to the elders there. This missionary journey was rather long. You remember last week we read that he stayed in Ephesus for around three years in total. That's why he gives a tearful goodbye to them as he tells them to continue spreading the gospel. It's likely that Paul never made it back to Ephesus. This was the last time he would see them, likely. Uh, After the parting sermon, Paul leaves town to travel a bit more and he ends up in Philippi where he celebrates Passover with his traveling companions. Among those companions, again, is Dr. Luke, the author of this book. You'll see, and I've I've put it in the notes, you'll see that Luke picks up the we narrative. A lot of times he talks about how Paul and Barnabas, for example, they went and did this or that. But when he is present, he always uses the term we did such and such or we went here or there. Uh, Dr. Luke likely traveled with Paul because Luke was Paul's physician. We know Paul had an ailment that he just couldn't get rid of. He healed all kinds of people, did all kinds of signs and wonders, and yet he had an ailment that uh, wouldn't leave, that the Lord wouldn't take from him. And it was through that ailment that Paul learned that God's grace was sufficient for him and that his strength would be perfected in weakness. But just thought I'd point that out and see if you pick up on it uh, right in the middle of the chapter here. So let's start at verse 1. We'll read a few verses. We'll make a few comments as we go. Verse 1, After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell, and departed for Macedonia. You'll remember the uproar. It's described in the previous chapter. Uh, The idol makers of Ephesus were upset that Paul had convinced almost everyone in the province uh, to put down their idols. And these idol makers were concerned that they were going to go out of business. And so they riled the people of Ephesus up, confused them, and so there was a great commotion. 
but we saw last week how that commotion was settled. And so that's the uproar that's referred to here in verse 1. This uproar is ceased. Everybody's settled down. And Paul calls for the disciples. And he encourages them and says, all right, I'm out of here. Let's go to Macedonia. So you can see here in verse 2, look at, look at how Luke is writing. He says, when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater, the Berean, son of uh, Pry- Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius and Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, and Titius, and uh, Trophimus, these went on ahead and were waiting for, look at this, us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them in Troas, where we stayed for seven days. So there's a reason why your maps are in the back of your Bible, if you have one there. You probably have a map of Paul's missionary journeys. I haven't looked at one today, but I'm sure I have one in the back of my book. Let's just see. Yeah, Paul's first, second, third. I just wanted to see something here. See if I can pick up on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I figured Paul was wanting to take the path of least resistance. He wanted to go as the crow flies um, from Greece to Syria. He wanted to go across the... Aegean Sea, yeah, but um, he figured out that there was a plot to kill him, and so they ended up going around the coast, adding much time and several days, or much walking over the course of several days to their, to their journey. Uh, here in the notes, or yeah, in your handout, it says this brief section covers the visit of Paul to Thessalonica, Berea, and Philippi in the province of Macedonia, and also to Corinth and Athens in Greece. These traveling companions of Paul, this is interesting, were probably representatives from other churches who had sent money with Paul to Jerusalem. They were also present as ambassadors from the churches Paul had founded among the Gentiles, and they were there to vouch for Paul's good stewardship in regard to the collection that was destined for Jerusalem. Paul had taken up a collection to bring to the church there. And these uh, good, upstanding church people, they came along with him for two reasons. To vouch for him as he went back through the churches asking for money. And then also to say, hey, we're here, we're keeping him accountable. 
It's almost like this was Paul's uh, board of directors or his deacons or his, um, his council. They were there to make sure that decisions were made that were for the benefit of everyone and that they were good stewards of that which was entrusted to them. All right, verses 6 to 12. Well, yeah, we see there in verse 6 that they sailed away and that Dr. Luke is using his we narrative. So let's jump down to verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Wow, that's a long sermon. Two things I want to point out there really quick. On the first day of the week, they were gathered together to break bread. Now, you remember back in Acts chapter 2, 42, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the breaking of bread, uh, and to the fellowship, and to the prayers. And so, again, uh, let me just look at our timeline here. Acts chapter 20. Yeah, we're 57 A.D., so we're 27, almost 30 years, almost three decades after the day of Pentecost, and they're still meeting. They're still devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the breaking of bread, so sharing food together, uh, and also the Lord's table and to fellowship, and to prayer. And so on the first day of the week, they met and they gathered together to devote themselves to that which they had devoted themselves for many years. Now, Paul was going to head out the next day, and so he was going to give them a long sermon. He was long-winded this night. Uh, So much so that the house went dark, and it says that there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered. So they had to light all the lamps because it was so dark out. And a young man named Eutychus, he was sitting at the window and he sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and he was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him And taking him up in his arms, he said, Do not be alarmed, his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. (laughs) I can imagine they were comforted. What, I, I mentioned it last week. I, I was just seeing if it jumped off the page to me. Remember when I said last week that'd be a great service? They worshipped for two hours? I think that was last week in chapter uh, 19. Anyway, it, and it wasn't, it wasn't actually um, the worship for two hours that took place. Um, It wasn't a church service, uh, but here we have a nice long church service demonstrated for us going into all hours of the night. In fact, they went straight through until the next morning. Um, 
look to your handout, Luke uses the we narrative, narrative again, which I had already pointed out. And this section records the visit of Paul to Troas and the episode of the young man Eutychus that fell asleep in a window while Paul is preaching, falls down three floors to his death. But here we see another instance of uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation. Paul actually raises him from the dead. Uh, he uses the spiritual gift of miracles, and he uses it on command, uh, which is slightly different than how we are able to use it in this day and age. It's the same spirit. It's the same gift. Um, but those apostles, they had the office of apostle and their teaching was going to become the Holy Scriptures, which is the greatest sign and the greatest gift of the Holy Spirit. And so their use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit were on demand. They could use them whenever and virtually however. Now, they used a lot of wisdom. They did not use it for their own gain. Uh, in fact, when somebody tried to buy the power of the Holy Spirit from them, uh, the apostles rebuked them severely. Uh, but here we see Paul using the gift of the Holy Spirit on demand. Now, when Paul teaches about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he says that the Holy Spirit apportions as the Spirit wills. And so that is our reality as those who do not have the office of apostle. A question? That's right. Yeah, you got the you got the word there. It's impartation. Yeah. Yeah. And was there a question to follow that or you're just one Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so he he uses that ability to impart into others with the laying on of hands. It says that he took him up in his arms here. Now, that wasn't always the case because in the chapter previous, we, we heard that there were many great signs and wonders, extraordinary miracles at the hands of Paul, uh, so that even a handkerchief that touched his skin and was carried to somebody else uh, imparted healing virtue and power into them. So again, I, I'm not suggesting here that the gifts have ceased I'm not saying that, um, that it's a different spirit or it's different gifts that we have. It's the exact same. But there was something special that the apostles had that does not exist anymore, and that is the ability to, on demand, say something like, rise up from your mat and walk. I mean, if an apostle said that and it didn't happen, they would have no credibility. We can say it and it not happen because we have the word of God. Okay, We have the sign. 
I think we should pray for people. I think we should pray in faith, believing, declare things that are not as though they are. If somebody wants to pray for miraculous healing, then I think we should pray for miraculous healing and just say it like that. But we also know that the Lord is the one who heals, and he heals according to his will. And uh, I just wanted to kind of make that distinction, but also to say that the gifts have not ceased. That very same gift that Paul used for that boy to be raised from the dead. And if he wasn't dead, he was definitely severely injured. Uh, And so he was raised up, and it says here that he was um, taken away alive, and everyone was comforted by the fact that he was okay. Here we also see that this is the first time it's mentioned that the believers were gathering on the first day of the week, on Sunday. Up until this point, many of them were meeting on Sabbath, and I had pointed that out a few times. Paul would go into the synagogue on Sabbath, and he would teach in these different cities on his journey. And many of the, uh, many of the Christians, especially the Jewish Christians, met on Sabbath. But here we see in this Gentile area that they were meeting on the first day of the week. And it's likely why this boy fell asleep. Uh, this would have been a work day for those Gentiles. They would have worked on that day, on the first day of the week. And even if there were Jewish Christians among them, they would have been working too. And so this young boy, Eutychus, he probably had a full day's work and did the right thing, came out to church, and uh, sleep was coming on him. And it says that he was eventually overcome by sleep, which means he was trying to stay awake. But he was overcome by it, and he fell out of the window. Uh, But this is interesting here. Some people ask, why do we meet on Sundays and not... Uh, on Saturdays, like, like was custom in the Old Covenant, on, on the Sabbath. And, well, here we see that the first century church made it a habit of meeting on the first day of the week, which was also the same day, of course, that Jesus was raised from the dead. All right, let's keep on reading. And again, if you have any questions as we go, feel free to get my attention or speak up. It's not a problem. So here we go, verse 13. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, uh, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, uh, we took him on board and we went uh, to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came uh, the following day, opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So we read a few verses earlier that he had celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, in the city of Troas. And so now this whole section here from verse 7 to uh, 16 is taking about 50 days. 50 days has gone by here because we'll see in the next portion that he's uh, trying to get 
to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. And I think by Acts, yeah, by the next chapter, he's already he's in Jerusalem. So that's uh, about the the amount of time that's going by over the course of this chapter. Uh, Any you know upwards of fifty days. So probably have a few months that have gone by here, which is interesting because sometimes we read this so quickly and we just think this is happening like day after day, and uh, lots of time is going by here. All right, let's keep on reading. Verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them. So now here is Paul's first recorded sermon to Christians. Every sermon we've read of Paul up to this point is a sermon to unbelievers. It's evangelistic. This sermon that he's about to preach is pastoral. So Paul was a pastor. He was Barnabas' associate pastor back in Antioch, if you can remember that far back. And then, led by the Holy Spirit, they decided they were going to become missionary evangelists. But while he was in Ephesus as a missionary evangelist, he decided to stay there for three years and pastor that church. Now he's on his way back through, and he calls them all together, and he preaches to them here as a pastor. He preaches to believers. So let's listen to what he has to say now to his congregation. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink or, or uh, uh, shrink, sorry, from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Look at this, teaching you in public and from house to house. So the first church, the first churches, of course, didn't have buildings. They were home churches, and so they'd either meet in a public space or they would meet in their homes, and Paul was... Uh, declaring to them things that were profitable for them. He was teaching them. And that's one thing he tells young Pastor Timothy to do, to exhort and to rebuke and to correct and to reprove with all patience and teaching. And so here Paul is telling these Ephesians, he's reminding them, this is what I did when I was with you, teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks, of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. I am constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So Paul is constrained by the Holy Spirit. The life of of a spirit-filled believer is guided by the Spirit of God. Now, that doesn't mean we know everything that's going to happen. Paul said that himself. He doesn't know what's going to happen when he gets there, but the Holy Spirit has been testifying to him that imprisonment and persecution and great affliction awaits him. 
But he says, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What's Paul saying there? He's basically saying, listen, I preached to you for three years the whole counsel of God. If you don't make it to heaven, it's not because you didn't hear it from me. I'm innocent of your blood. Paul said, I didn't shrink back from declaring anything to you. It's easy as a pastor to shrink back. A lot of pastors do. There's stuff they don't want to talk about, things they'd rather not say. But our biblical example as pastors is to preach the whole counsel of God and to say things that make people uncomfortable at times. And so he says here now, he gives them a warning, verse 28. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Okay, so let's stop here. He tells these elders now, these overseers, these are going to be his successors, his pastors that are going to care for the church after him. He says, be careful, pay attention to, to yourselves and to all the congregation that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers of to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. We always have to remember as, as pastors and as leaders and as people of, of the church that it's his church, it's God's church. Jesus is building his church. He purchased us with his own blood. Now, Paul just got done saying he didn't know what awaited him when he got to Jerusalem. But, again, gift of the Holy Spirit, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, a word of exhortation to these pastors. Look what he says in verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. They won't spare the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Who's them? I believe they are the people who forget that it's Christ's church, that he purchased the church, he obtained the church with his own blood. It's people who want to use the name of Jesus for their own gain and for their own glory. And so Paul says, I know this is going to happen. I guarantee it that when I leave, these wolves are going to come in among the flock. They're going to come from without and from within. So pay careful attention. Watch. Pay attention to who's coming in and to who's rising up among you. Uh, make sure that they are men of God um, who hold to the trustworthy Word as taught. That's uh, Titus 1.9. It 
So again, another pastoral epistle. Paul writes to Titus and he says, Make sure that all the elders are trustworthy men that hold to the word as was taught to them. Why? So that they can give instruction and sound doctrine and so that they can rebuke those who... um, What's the word he uses there? They can rebuke those who... My memorization is slipping there. What word? Oh, yeah. So that he can give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. So we can see here, and we'll, we can read it in Paul's letters, his desire for pastors to be on the lookout, for overseers to be watching out for the congregation, because there will be fierce wolves who try to come in and rise up from within um, to lead people away from the truth. Okay, where are we here? Yeah, there we are. Yep, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Verse 31, let's keep going. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, day or night, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So again, I mentioned earlier about the word being the sign. Jesus, before he left, said, all power and authority has been given to me, so I give to you. And these apostles went out then and taught under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but also performed signs and wonders under the power of the Holy Spirit. And when Paul is leaving this group of preachers and teachers and pastors, he says, um, I commend you and to the I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Um, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So he says, the word is able to build you up, to edify you, to encourage you, and to give you the hope of salvation. This word is the gospel. It's the testimony of Jesus. Paul says in Acts chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Verse 32, or sorry, verse 33 rather. I coveted when I was here no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. Uh, here he's talking about his career in Ephesus as a tent maker. In all things I have shown you that my working hard in this way must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all of them. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. They loved their pastor. They didn't want to see him go, but they knew that he had to go. 
verse uh, 13 to 38, the notes there in your handout, Paul goes to Miletus, the port of Ephesus, so he can visit the Ephesians and still be in Jerusalem for Pentecost. The elders of the church meet him. They have a tender reunion. Paul knows that he will encounter danger in Jerusalem. He's determined to go. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing I want to read. He's determined to go. He knows he must go. He's constrained by the Spirit, he says. He gives them a report of his stewardship of the gospel, how he never ceased day and night to, to preach the gospel and how he had been faithful. And then he knows, like I had pointed out, that the church in Ephesus will be subjected to false teaching. And uh, they certainly were. Let's, uh, let's read what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Skip over a few pages to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1, 3 to 10. Following up on following up on what Paul said to them in his farewell sermon. Paul writes this. Ephesians 1 3 to 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And as a plan, for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. These verses expound upon Paul's statement in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, when he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, Here it is, which he obtained with his blood. So he's expounding on how Christ obtained this church. He, before the foundation of the world, chose us and predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ according to the will of his purpose and for the praise of his glorious grace. And remember I pointed out that these fierce wolves were going to rise up from without and within to draw the disciples away after them. And I made that point that they wanted to use 
the name of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the power of Jesus for their own gain. And Paul is careful here in his letter to the Ephesians to remind them that Jesus is the one who purchased them and and how Jesus obtained them and that they have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, that they've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places because of Jesus, not because of any teacher or any preacher or any apostle or any missionary or evangelist, but because of Jesus and Jesus alone that God might get the glory. And then in chapter 4, verse 10 to 16, he expounds upon, um, well, let's read it here. Let's start at verse 9. Oh, let's start at verse 10. Chapter 4, verse 10 of Ephesians. He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So it's Christ's church. He just got done talking about how uh, there's to be unity in the body and there's one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And Christ is over all and all in all and he's given us grace. And then he says, after this, he ascended. Um, The one who descended, Christ, is also the one who ascended. And because he ascended, look what he did. He gave gifts to the church. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, look at this, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So here's referring to the type of fierce wolves that were going to come in among them. He says, how can, you, how can you ensure that fierce wolves don't come in and, and rob you of uh, the good deposit that was made in you? Well, Jesus made sure to give apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to build them up in the word of God and to build them up in the faith and the knowledge of God that they might become mature followers of Christ so that they wouldn't be tossed to and fro by the waves or carried about by every wind of doctrine. Those who get drawn away by false doctrine and by the fierce wolves are those who have uh, not matured in their faith. And so it's important for us as pastors to preach and teach, and it's important for you to study and learn as well, as it is for me that we're not carried away by every wind of doctrine, but that we know the truth of God and that we uh, guard that good deposit that was made in us. And then the final thing I want to point out is Paul's uh, parting words to the brothers there in Ephesus. I'll read them again, verse 37 and verse 38. And there was much weeping on the part of all them, of all the people rather, And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the words he had spoken, and that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So they had this tender farewell. 
Like I said, they loved their pastor. Their pastor loved them, but he was constrained by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And so he left them. But in this message, Paul reminds them of his long-term, constant, watchful, universal, and heartfelt care. It's amazing uh, that Paul was able to operate in all of those things that he said to the Ephesians, Christ gave the church, um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and pastors. Paul was all of those things in his life and ministry, and especially to the followers of Christ in Ephesus. He stayed with them the longest. He was a traveling preacher. Traveling preachers usually blow in, blow up, blow out. He stayed there for three years and pastored them and cared for them. So it was a long-term ministry that he had with them. It was constant. He faced uh, many trials and shed many tears with them. He was watchful over them. He said that uh, he was... Uh, he didn't shrink back from declaring anything that was profitable to them, and he taught them. Uh, he was watchful. He, it was universal. He, he taught all of them. He, he said there in uh, verse 21, he was testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith. And, of course, it was heartfelt, because you can, you can see he mentioned tears several times and how the people were sorrowful. Uh, because of all that he had spoken. So uh, there was a heart connection there between Paul and the Ephesians as well. The Ephesian church, like I said, was the place he stayed the longest. Um, it's said that the Philippian church was his favorite church. Uh, they were uh, the church that he never had to correct in his letter to them. He didn't have to do much correcting in Ephesians either. Um, but as I was studying this over the course of the week and just seeing the type of pastor Paul was to them, it was just inspiring to me uh, to, to want to be that for you and, and the pleasure that I've had to be your pastor uh, for, the, for about 10 years in total and your, your senior pastor for the last three years. And this is certainly my goal. I've said many times at our council meetings, this is my last church, so you'll either have to fire me or bury me. Or I'll retire, one of the three. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, take me up in your arms, brother. And yeah, that'd be good. But to be, uh, to be constant, to be watchful, to be, uh, to be universal, to be available to you, and to have a connection with you, not just show up and see me on a stage and shake your hand at the door, but to really get to know you. And I just really appreciate you, love you, and I bless you. And this series has been such a great series. We've been studying the book of Acts because we want to relive it. We are reliving it. And I want to relive it more and more together with you.